In our home, our sons, Luke and Nathan, earn a monthly allowance by doing chores. This gives them some spending money, and it also helps them feel part of our household as we each have different roles to play to get stuff done that needs to get done. If they'd like to make some extra money, Laura and I are glad to share some of our chores with them and pay them to do some of the stuff that we're supposed to be doing. And that's a win-win from our perspective because the boys get some more money and we get a break from a few things. And then there are the occasions where Luke uh, or Nathan see something in the house or the yard that needs to be done, and they do it without us asking them, without asking for more money. They just do it because they love us and they are part of our home, and this is just out of the goodness of their hearts. And when they do that, with that motivation from their heart, it just means so much to us. There's nothing wrong with earning an allowance or getting some extra money for doing some chores that mom and dad do. But there's something special about just the motivation of wanting to serve your family simply because you love them. Today, we're going to be talking about motivation. Why do you help people in your life and why do others help you in their lives? And so thank you for tuning in today. And I think Jesus has a lot of cool things to teach us in one of his parables. We're in the midst of this series called Parables in which we're looking at these stories of Jesus that are earthly stories, but they have a heavenly meaning. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. Gospel means the good news of Jesus, and Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 disciples in the first century in Israel. Matthew's going to uh, tell us a story about Jesus, who is also telling a story to the original 12 disciples. And I think that this parable also speaks to us today specifically about our motivation for wanting to help people. So let's check it out in Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Most of the parables talk about the kingdom of heaven that is with us right now. We can encounter God's kingdom on the earth partially, and one day we'll encounter it fully when Jesus returns. But the parables give us an idea of what it's like to experience the kingdom of heaven on earth. And today, Jesus compares it to a first century landowner in Israel uh, who owned a vineyard, and it was time to harvest the grapes. Grapes were a very uh, important crop in Israel in the first century, and this landowner has gone to the marketplace to look for laborers to come work in his vineyard. Because in first century Israel, most people didn't have jobs like you and I have jobs, where we have the same job and we go every day, we get the same amount of pay, all that kind of stuff. Most people in Israel didn't have jobs. They would simply try to find some work each day to earn enough money to be able to eat and to feed their families. And to do that, they would go into towns and cities where there was a marketplace and they would look for people to hire them. And so this was a lot of stress, I imagine. There's no guaranteed uh, employment every day. And so if you want to provide for your family, you had to go find work that day and get paid. And so the landowner is gone uh, to find this work. And the typical workday was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12-hour workday, usually divided up into increments of three hours each. And so let's continue the story. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Denarius was simply a day's wage. About nine in the morning, he went back and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. Probably not going to earn a full day's wage because it's a, it's a few hours later. 
But hey, you get to work today, so come on, work in the vineyard. So they went, and he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. So evidently it's a big harvest, and the original workers are just not going to be able to pull it off. And so the landowner continues to go and get some more workers. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So these workers were desperate for work. There's only one hour left in the workday. They're thinking, we're not going to be able to get any money today. We're not going to be able to eat, feed our families. But hey, we still got to have hope. And so the guy comes and he says, I'll hire you for an hour. And they're thinking, well, we're not going to get a full denarius for today. But we'll get a twelfth of that. But at least it's better than nothing. And so they went and they worked in the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. This was the tradition that the foreman would take care of making the payments. And in this instance, it was going to start with the people who got their last and to pay them first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and they each received a denarius. Now, this is truly surprising. They got a full day's pay for one hour's worth of work. And I'm guessing when they opened their pay packets, they, they asked the foreman, are you sure you didn't make a mistake? This probably is a mistake because we only worked an hour and you're giving us a full day's pay. No, this is what you get paid today. And so I'm sure that was a joyful surprise that they're going to be able to feed their families, feed themselves, and they got this extra graceful amount of money. Now, the other workers probably saw this, and they're probably getting excited to think, well, if they get a full day's work for one hour, what are we going to get? Wow, this is going to be great. So let's see what exactly they do get. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. And we probably can understand their frustration. They've been there all day working. And then somebody comes in in the last hour, works one hour, gets paid a full day's wage, which is exactly what they got paid. Now, that was fair. That's what the landowner contracted to give them. And it's also probably more than fair. If the landowner hadn't chosen them to work, they might not have been able to even work or feed their families that day. But still, human nature is, man, this isn't fair. And we're upset. And so they let the landowner know exactly what they thought. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So the landowner is patient. He's kind. He calls one of them friend when he offers the response, but he's also firm. Hey, look, I'm paying you exactly what I agreed to pay you. Right? I am being fair to you. If I want to be generous to the other persons who came after you, that's none of your business. That's what I want to do. I can be generous with my money. Right? Are you envious? And so be grateful with what you got. And I'm guessing that the landowner in the back of his mind is also thinking, you should be grateful that I hired you in the first place. I didn't have to even choose you to come to the vineyard. I could have asked other people, and then you would not have been able to work today. And so he doesn't say that. That's probably something I might have said, but it's in the back of his mind, I'm sure. So he 
has been very gracious by giving them the opportunity to work and he paid them a fair daily wage and they just need to get over what he chose to pay the other workers. So that's the earthly story. And I'm guessing we're probably going to side with the guys who were there early because it just doesn't seem fair. Or maybe we might side with the ones who got there last because someone's shown us grace in our lives. Maybe, you know, where are you in this story? And also, what's the point? What's Jesus talking about? Why is he telling his 12 disciples this? And what does it mean for us in America in the 21st century? Well, I think to understand this, we have to go back to chapter 19 in Matthew's gospel. This parable is in chapter 20. We've got to go back to chapter 19. And in this week's daily devotional readings, I'm going to give you the opportunity to look this scripture up and read it for yourselves. For right now, let me just give you a quick summary. In chapter 19, a man came to Jesus and wanted to follow him and be a disciple. And Jesus said to him, in, in his one specific case, to do that, you need to sell everything that you own and give the money to the poor. Because this was a very wealthy man, and he loved money, and that was kind of his competition with God. And this man decided not to follow Jesus, and he went away very sad. And when Peter saw that, he, he saw an opportunity to say, well, Jesus, the 12 of us have left everything to follow you, and here we are. What do we get? Right? How are you going to reward us? What, what do we have coming to us? And so I think what's going on with this parable is that Jesus is telling the disciples this story because he wants them to examine their motivation for why they follow him. Are they following him because they love him and are in this relationship with, with God himself sitting right there in front of them? Or are they in this relationship following Jesus simply to use Jesus to get some good stuff, some cool stuff in their lives. What's the motivation for following Jesus? That is at the heart of this parable. I think that's at the heart of, of our, our being involved in reading this parable ourselves, because I think our motivations for why we help other people in our lives and why other people help us in our lives is very important. I think we can see that in today's world right now. I think there's a lot of unrest and there's a lot of outrage because a lot of people in America, we doubt the motivation that other people have when it comes to their relationships with us. I think about all the unrest around our government leaders right now and elected officials and politicians and how much division there is in our nation. And when you think about elected leaders and politicians, who are they? What are they supposed to be doing? They are public servants. They are to serve the public, all of the public with the public's best interest at heart. And I think there's a lot of skepticism in America right now because we see this politician or that politician, this is a Republican, that is a Democrat, whatever, and we see the way that they act, and it seems like politicians and government leaders do have the interest of some of the public in mind, but not all of the public in mind. And we also are skeptical of a lot of politicians and government leaders, and we think they might not have the public's best interest at, in, in mind at all, that they might just be in it for their own self-glory, for the money, for the power. And so we're skeptical about our leaders. Do they have the, the public uh, best interest in, in, in their hearts? Right? Are they truly public servants, or are they for just part of the public and not the other part of the public? The the ones that can't help them, they ignore them, or they're just in it for their own gain. And so I think that's why there's a lot of uh, unrest, there's a lot of doubt, there's a lot of outrage in a lot of our leaders right now. 
And then there are some awesome, great leaders, elected officials, politicians, government leaders who are doing their very best. And they do have the public in their hearts and want to serve all of the public. And, and for all of you who are out there doing that, we thank you. And I know it's often a thankless job. But thank you for what you're doing. And I think it also is, is an issue with our law enforcement, with police officers, specifically that police officers, their whole, their whole motto, their whole mission is to protect and to serve. And there are people who are outraged because there are some police officers, not all police officers, there are some police officers who choose to protect and serve only a small group of people while they ignore protecting and serving an entirely different group of people. And on top of that, not only do some police officers ignore the, their duty to protect and serve everyone, sometimes they do the opposite. They do violent harm to segments of our community, specifically the black community. And so there's a lot of outrage. There's a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of mistrust of these public servants who are supposed to protect and serve everyone, but they don't. They choose to protect and serve a group of people and they do the opposite to others. They violently harm others. And so there's a lot of anger and unrest over that, understandably. And again, this is a group of police officers. It's not all police officers. We are grateful to all of our law enforcement folks who are watching and serving, who are doing the right thing. And you do have the best interest of all of the public in mind. And we're grateful to you for that. And we thank you for that and understand this is a difficult time for you. And so this motivation thing is serious. I, I think it also applies to businesses and corporations. I did an internet search for mission statements for some of the biggest companies in the world in the United States. And most all of them have a mission statement that they want to make the world a better place in, in this, this area, like through medicine or through research, right, or through technology. Like we want to serve the community, we want to serve the nation, we want to make the world a better place. And I think some companies really believe that and they do that. And, and their, their services, their goods, they make life better for people. And a consequence of that is they make a lot of money, but that's not the reason they exist. They exist to do whatever it is that God put them on the earth to do with their service, with their abilities. But then there are also companies and corporations who say that they have the best interest of the public in mind, but we're very skeptical of that because it seems like the only interest that they have is lining their own pockets with our dollars. And we're skeptical of their business practices and how they operate. It also is true of motivation in our own personal relationships. While we help our friends, while we help our family, our neighbors, people at church, people in our community, why, why are we doing that? Is that because we care about them and really have their best interest in mind? Or is it because we want to get something back in return, that we're trying to leverage them or to use them to get something for our own gain? Or maybe it's a mixture if we're honest with ourselves, of, of, of both types of motivations. In preparing for today's message, I looked uh, into a biblical commentary, and the author of that had some really insightful things about relationships and talked about the challenge of being in a marriage. And he talked about how there is this tension, what he called a tug-of-war syndrome. And he said it kind of goes like this, that there are, there are spouses who are married and they will do something to meet the needs of their spouse so long as the spouse then meets one of their needs. 
I meet your need, you meet my need, I meet your need, you meet my need. Kind of like, it's like scorekeeping. And you can think about tug of war and think how two sides are pulling on the same rope against one another and how tense that is. And it's all about helping someone so that I can get something in return from that. And the author of this commentary said, that's a recipe for disaster for marriage, for any relationship, when it's all about getting something back out of that relationship. And he said as a pastor, when he counsels couples who are in trouble, he, he takes a time out and he encourages them for two months not to ask their spouse to meet one of their own needs, but instead to try and anticipate the needs that their spouses have and focus on meeting those needs. So it's not about me receiving something, it's about me giving something because I love my spouse and I want to meet their needs in their life. And, and he says, if the couples can do that for two months, that it's kind of like a, a reset of the marriage. And it becomes more of an equilibrium thing. And, and we fall in love with each other again. We remember why we were first in it. It's not to get stuff, but it, we're in this relationship because I love the other person. And I want to do things for them and to care for them. Not because I'm going to get something back, but because I love them. And that's enough. So motivation is very critical in all areas of our lives. And I think it, it's definitely true of our relationship with God as well, which brings us back to the parable. Again, Jesus is basically saying to his disciples, why are you following me? Why are you serving me? Is it because you love me and you want to please me that we have a relationship? Or it's because you want to leverage me to gain something out of this relationship? And I think that's a very real question that also speaks to all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus or who are considering being followers of Jesus. Why would we want to follow Jesus? Is it because we want to please Jesus, because we love Jesus, or because really we want to get something back in return from Jesus? I know as a pastor who is around a lot of other pastors, it's easy for us to get off track. Right? We fall in love with Jesus, we get called to the ministry, we get involved in that, and we want to serve. But at some point, most all of us kind of get sidetracked, and, and our egos and our pride can get involved in this. And rather than doing God's work just to, because we love Jesus, we get involved in, and we want, to, we want to put forward our own egos, and we want to advance our own careers. And we look at each other and we become jealous of, oh, you've got a bigger church than me, I need to get a bigger church than you. You have more followers or, or subscribers on social media than I have. I've got to get more than you. I've got to publish more books than you. I've got to have more people listen to my podcast or read my blog. And pretty soon it all becomes not about serving God, but about promoting ourselves. And that's a dangerous trap to fall into. And it, I'm ashamed to say in my ministry, I've had those moments where it hasn't been about God. It's become more about me. And, and I'm glad that God kind of wakes me up and gets me out of that. But Right? That, that's a challenge. There is a, a culture of church celebrities in the world today, and, and it, it's hard not to fall into the trap of wanting to be liked and patted on the back and all that because of what we do rather than we're in this to serve Jesus. And so I think that Jesus' words to Peter and the disciples are speaking to me and, and to my colleagues. I think it's true of people who work in the church on, on a staff, whether you're a paid staff member or you're one of our great lay members who puts in all these hours for free. And I think a lot of times we do that because we love Jesus, but sometimes we get caught up in it and we like we like the attention. We like 
having a successful program and we begin to get in competition with each other. Well, my program's bringing in more people, so I should get more time and attention and budgeted dollars. And our church is doing better than the church down the street and our programs are better. And so, hey, look at us. Jesus, we're superstars for Jesus. And, right, and we just and we lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing. We continue to do the right things, but for the wrong reasons. We're helping people for God, but it's really we're doing it for our own egos and 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 our, and our own pride and, and things like that. And I think it, it's true of any follower of Jesus. You don't have to be a leader. You don't have to be a pastor. Uh, I remember before I was a pastor, before I was a leader, I mean, I, I would volunteer my time at church, and a lot of that was because I love God, but but sometimes, honestly, I wanted a little something in return. I think, I think unconsciously, somewhere deep down in our hearts, that sometimes that's our temptation to say, you know what, God? I've sacrificed my time. I sacrificed my money for you. There's a promotion at work. And I think that I deserve that. I think you need to give that to me because I've given myself to you, God. I deserve for you to intervene in my life. Or, you know, God, my grandmother's sick and the doctors aren't able to help her. And I have poured out all of my time and all my effort. And, and God, you owe me. And I'm going to call in my favors. And I need you to, to leverage that. And you need to take care of the situation. I think sometimes we serve and love God, not just because we love God, but because we want to get something out of that. And so in our lives right now, maybe it's a, it's a good time for us to take a pause and just to ask ourselves the question, why do we follow Jesus? Is it because we just want to please God? Is it because we love God? Or are we trying to get something in return? We want to be rewarded, like, like Peter said. We gave up everything to follow you, Jesus. What are we going to get? What are we going to get? I'm not sure that's exactly why Jesus wants us to follow him. I think it's a human thing. Uh, I certainly have said that I suffer from this in my life. And I think it goes all the way back to the first humans, Adam and Eve. What, what was their sin? Their sin was pride. God gave them dominion over all the earth to take care and to be stewards of, of all the earth. And that wasn't good enough. They wanted to dominate it. They wanted to take over. They they wanted to be like God, and they, they wanted to eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? It wasn't just enough to be in a relationship with God. We, we want more than that. And so they got into a lot of trouble, and that's led to us being in a lot of trouble with sin and guilt and shame and death and hell, which is separation from God. And so right, what is our motivation for loving God, serving God, and serving others? I think that's really what Jesus is saying to us today. I think when we get back to the parable— when we think about the landowner and those workers in the vineyard, I think, you know, I think one of the points is right, they should have just been grateful that they had the opportunity to be in that relationship uh, and that the grace was shown them to be able to work in that vineyard. You know, and I think about as followers of Jesus, right, we should be grateful for all that God's done for us. God gave us life. God gives us friends and family. Right? God sent his son to die on a cross and to come back to life so that we can live life to the full now and live forever in the kingdom of heaven, right? God's given us tons of stuff. God's given us lots of things that we don't deserve, right? And so I think we should be grateful for that. And we should serve God out of gratitude, not because we're going to get something, but look at what we've already got when we've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I, I think we serve God as disciples. And I, I think when we do serve God as disciples, we're all on an equal playing field. Whether you're scrubbing a toilet in a church bathroom or you're standing on a stage and you're preaching to 3,000 people, in God's eyes, it's all equal, right? Especially when our heart's in the right place, right? It's so 
easy to do the right things for the wrong reasons. I think God wants us to do the right things for the right reasons. Right? Just like my son Nathan, my son Luke, when they see something that needs to be done and they do it and they don't ask for money, they don't ask for a pat on the back, they just do it because they love me. I think that's what Jesus is looking for. I think Jesus is, is looking for something like that to say, hey, Jesus, I follow you because I love you. You know what? Life to the full is great. Life forever in heaven is going to be awesome. That you took away my guilt and shame is amazing. That you gave me joy and peace and, you know, all this good stuff. That's great. But what really makes life to the full, what really makes life worth living forever is you, Jesus. That I can be in a relationship with you. That makes my life full. I want to live forever because I get to be with you, Jesus. Right? All those other things are great and those rewards are great, but but it's all about you, Jesus. Right? I think that's exactly what Jesus created us to be. That's what Jesus is looking for. It's all about a relationship. And you think about it, Jesus is the ultimate example of a servant. Why do you think Jesus would leave heaven where everything's perfect, come to the earth where everything's not perfect, become an imperfect human being while he still remained, retained his divinity, die on a cross, be tortured so that he could come back to life. Why do you think Jesus did that? Was that to gain something? Right. Well, how, how does he gain from that? I mean, I think we think of sacrifice in terms of, I'm willing to make a sacrifice if I can get something good out of that, right? No pain, no gain. I'll take the pain as long as I get the gain, right? I, I want to look better. I want to feel better. So I'm going to lift weights. That's going to that's going to be painful. I'm going to stop eating bad stuff like junk food. Right? That's going to be painful for me, but it's worth the gain, right? I'll make the sacrifice if I can gain something. What does Jesus gain by his sacrifice on the cross? I don't think for Jesus it's no pain, no gain. I think it's for Jesus it's my pain, your gain. Right? Jesus's pain was so that you and I could benefit from that. That's what a servant is. That's what a disciple is. We're, we're in this not for ourselves. We're in it for God. We're in it for that relationship that we have with Christ. We serve God. We serve other people because we love Jesus. And we're grateful to Jesus. And it's all about that relationship with Jesus. So what? So what's the point? What's the big idea? What's the, what's the takeaway today? This is what I think it is. The rewarder fills our hearts, not the reward. The one who rewards us, right, with life to the full and life everlasting is what fills our hearts, not the reward. The rewarder fills our hearts, not the reward, right? Life to the full is great. Life forever in the kingdom of heaven is great. But what's the ultimate, what's the ultimate gift? It's a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is our reward. Falling in love with Jesus is our reward. Being in a relationship with Jesus is what it's all about. That's why we're grateful. That's why we serve in response, right? The rewarder fills our heart, not the reward. And, and it's all about Jesus. So why do you serve and follow Jesus? Why do you help the people in your life, your, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your community, is it out of the goodness of your heart, or is it that you want to get something back in return, or is it maybe a combination? Right? Where are we today? I know it's hard. Like we're human, and it, and most all of us are going to have to say it's probably mixed. It's mixed most motivation, right? We do want stuff out of it. We do want to help people. We do love people. We do like getting stuff back in return. So what do we do about that? 
How do we apply this into our lives? I think today what we really just need to do is to get down on our knees and we need to pray to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, if I've fallen out of love with you, I, I need you to come back and help me fall in love with you again. I need you to be the main reason. I, I want to follow you because I'm in love with you. I'm in a relationship with you, God. It's not about what I get, but it's about who you are in our relationship. And maybe we're in a great relationship. Maybe we're, we're, we're motivated for the right reasons. And we, it's going to be easy for us to get on our knees and say, God, I love you. And thanks for letting me follow you. And what can I do to serve you better? Or maybe you're considering entering a relationship with Jesus. And maybe it's, it's a good chance for you to get down on your knees and say, Jesus, I'm not sure about this. It sounds like something I want to do. Let's explore that together. But I think in the posture of getting on our knees before Jesus and saying to Jesus, I want to do the right things for the right reasons. I want to serve you because we're in a relationship, not because I'm going to gain things from you. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need you to reset my heart. I think if we get down on our knees right now and we do that and we apply this, that Jesus is going to respond to that. And I think we're going to have a better relationship with Jesus. I think we're going to be more faithful disciples. I think we're going to have more joy, more peace, right? Which isn't the goal, right? The goal is the relationship with Jesus. But, but when we're in the right relationship with Jesus, all that other stuff, right? It, it, it comes and it happens, but it comes back down to, do we love Jesus? Are we following Jesus simply to be in that loving, personal relationship? So I'd like to invite you right now to get down on the floor, on your knees, in your bedroom, in your living room, if you're in a home office, wherever you are. If you are physically able to do this, that you would get down on your knees right now and pray. If you're not able to do that, that's okay. We don't want you to hurt yourselves. So I just want to invite you to, to pray and open your palms as a, as a sign of surrender to Jesus, that you're waiting to receive Jesus into your life or to recommit your life to Jesus, right? But for us right now, as followers of Jesus, people who want to follow Jesus, people who want to be renewed in our relationship with Jesus, that we humble ourselves and we ask Jesus to reset our hearts to where Jesus is the first love of our life. So I'm going to join you. I'm going to kneel down here. You're probably not going to be able to see me, but that doesn't matter because it's, it's about you going to Jesus, me going to Jesus. And so let's take that time right now and let's ask Jesus to fill our hearts in this relationship, personal relationship with our Lord and Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The rewarder fills our heart, not the reward. Rewards are great, but what really fills our heart is that loving, personal relationship with Jesus. May that be your motivation 
from today moving forward. Go in peace.